Well, good morning, everyone. So glad to have you here today. Uh, on Father's Day, we started a short series that's based on Psalm 23, and we're calling it Lead Like Jesus. And I uh, really, the invitation is to live like Jesus. And uh, there is a pattern of life, a pattern of spirituality, uh, however you want to frame it, that is reflected in Psalm 23, that is a great template, a great pattern for us to follow, whether as men or as women or young or old, uh, and that's kind of the, the genius of the, ser- or the, the idea of this series. So Psalm 23 was written by King David, and we started off last week just with the opening words, the Lord is my shepherd. And I know those are just five words, but there's so many things packed into just the beginning, the introduction of that. And so last week we saw how God anointed David as a shepherd over all of Israel. God made him the king over all Israel. And by every measure, David was an extraordinary leader or influencer, however you want to frame it. And yet, the thing that was most notable for David to tell us about himself wasn't who he leads over, what he shepherds, what he influences, but who influences him, who leads and shepherds him. And so David, he sees himself as subservient. In fact, he sees himself as quite dependent upon God. And, and like in every way that a lamb would be dependent on a shepherd. And so, yeah, we, we unpacked that last week. And uh, you might want to go back and catch last week's message. But for a lot of people, especially men, it's kind of a point of pride to say, I'm my own man. I'm my own leader. Uh, I don't need anything from some God or Lord or shepherd. David is taking a radically different posture. Uh, he's holding out a, a radically different pattern than what we see a lot of people living by. Uh, Does it make a man weaker to express his dependence upon God? Does it make a man lesser? I think there's a lot of times we're told that by culture, that your Christianity is a crutch, your faith is a crutch, you're weak, that's why you need religion or God. Is that true, though? Or is it perhaps true that this dependence upon God And allowing him to occupy this chief place that maybe, in fact, it makes us even greater and stronger. Was David at his greatest and strongest when he was depending upon God or when he was trying to be his own king? You know, so these are some important things. Now, the real aha for me of Psalm 23, and really, if you want to, like, take your scripture reading to the next level, when you read the Old Testament, it's important to realize that that all the Old Testament is really pointing us to someone and something beyond just the text. And that someone or something is Jesus Christ. So what is Psalm 23? When we look at Christ's life through the lens of Psalm 23, what does Psalm 23 teach us about Jesus? Well, Jesus was anointed the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd, John 10. But like David, when we look at Christ's pattern of life, He took a posture of the Lamb. John the Baptist, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The book of Revelation, Jesus is featured as the Lamb. Yes, he's King. Yes, he's Lord. Yes, he's God. Yes, he's the Good Shepherd. But the thing that is imitatable about Jesus, the pattern that we need to take from Jesus, is that of a Lamb. In the Gospels, Jesus is just completely 
relying upon God's Holy Spirit to lead him, uh, relying upon God's every word, relying upon God's strengthening in prayer and fasting. Jesus waking up at the earliest part of dawn before anybody, you know, was, was hitting him up, you know. I mean, he was in prayer seeking the Father, seeking abiding in the, in the Father's love. Jesus was completely reliant on God's purpose and plan and, and will and direction and governance. And so before Jesus did a single work, he would only do the works that he saw the Father inviting him to do. Before he spoke a single word, he only spoke, said he spoke the words that he heard the Father saying. In life, in death, what do we see Jesus doing? He entrusted himself to the Father, not as a lamb to the slaughter, but as a lamb to his shepherd, Jesus entrusted himself. So this is a pattern that we want to talk about and continue to unpack. So uh, to what extent, like David or like Jesus, can we speak of the Lord as our personal shepherd? The Lord is my shepherd. What does that look like? How, how does that begin to take shape and, and become a pattern for our life? Well, that's why we're going to spend some time in Psalm 23. I want to wade a little deeper into this text this morning. Psalm 23, verses 1 and 2. What's it look like to abide in God as your shepherd? Well, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. What David is saying in so many words is, The Lord satisfies me. The Lord quenches my hungers and my thirst. Uh, I I found everything that I need in this relationship to sustain me on a daily basis. Now, this is an extraordinary claim that David is making in this psalm. If ever there was an original sin, going back to Genesis... It was distrust, but even more so, dissatisfaction. Satan's play to convince Eve uh, was to convince her that God wasn't enough for her. That she needed God plus. Jesus plus. Something even beyond God himself. That, That God couldn't be trusted to meet all of her needs. And that God, even in putting her and her husband, Adam, in the garden, that God was still, even after all that, withholding things from her, withholding wisdom, withholding blessing, withholding satisfaction. And it's that idea that as much as anything, Satan presents to Eve. And in Genesis 3, 6, we are familiar with the fateful moment where Eve turned away from God to try to find satisfaction somewhere else. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, pleasing to the eye. And that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. And she also gave it to her husband, uh, and he ate it. And, you know, so from the beginning, we've sought satisfaction in just about everyone and everything and everywhere in the world outside of God. It started in Genesis. It goes right on through the thread through Scripture Where do we find satisfaction? Where do we find contentment? Where do we find joy? Where do we find our enough? Is God enough? And David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I got what I want. I have everything I need. 
This is a radically different pattern of finding satisfaction than what our world holds out for us. And we're going to unpack it here today. Now, there is a good chance. You read scripture and a lot of times you take it at face value. But there might be a good chance that you've read Psalm 23.1 and become skeptical. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Oh, really? You have what you need. You're good. With just the Lord. You're serious. You know, when I was reading Psalm 23, I started thinking of the book of Philippians. Because in the book of the Philippians, the Apostle Paul, he expresses appreciation to the Philippian church because... They have been taking care of his needs. They've been responding to him while a whole bunch of stuff's been going on in his life. Number one, what was Paul's circumstance? Well, he was imprisoned. And while he was in prison, the church is trying to ferry food and, 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 and resources and visitors. And like they're trying to care for Paul in this horrific circumstance. He's in bondage. And then while he's also in prison in Philippi, there are Christian brothers Probably in name only, sometimes you wonder, but they're filled with envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. And so they're stirring up trouble and maybe spreading malicious rumors or thoughts about Paul while he's in prison, like he's watching relationship networks that he's shared the gospel within, maybe start to crumble and his name being besmirched, and it's kind of a crisis for him. And not only do you have circumstances and relationships starting to hit the wall, But Paul himself physically is near death, and he's contemplating, you know, do I go and be with Christ, which he says is better by far, and sometimes when your health's so bad, people are like, yeah, we're praying for you to go and be with Christ, you know, and he's like, maybe I need to do that, or maybe it's better that I remain for your joy and progress in the faith, but he's wrestling with life and death. It's in Philippians chapter 4, there's four chapters this week. Psalm 23, read the book of Philippians, four chapters. You can do it. You got it. Just read it. It's amazing. But at the end of Philippians 4, Paul says something Psalm 23-ish. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because you renewed your concern for me. You showed up. You cared. You were, in fact, concerned about me. You lacked opportunity to show it. But I'm not saying any of this out of need. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. Just let that hit you for a moment. How many people say that and mean it? I've learned to find contentment in whatever circumstance I find myself. I know how to make do with little. I know how to make do with a lot. I'm probably in that second category. How about you? I can do good with a lot, right? Awesome. Blessings. Uh, In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content, whether well-fed or hungry. I tend to be in that first category, right? Well-fed. You know, we're a high-calorie Christian people. And, uh, but when we're hungry, I'm going to die. You know, it's like, we got to go somewhere quick, McDonald's, whatever, anything. I've learned to be content, whether in abundance or in need. Again, which category do you fit in? I'm on the abundance side. I'm able, here's the secret, I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. 
I find a resource and a strengthening in my relationship with God that allows me to flourish when these criteria, whether, whether it's here or here, doesn't matter. I'm good. Still, you did well by partnering with me in all of my hardship. The extreme hardships and deprivations of prison, circumstances that we find ourselves in, probably not as extreme as Paul's in the first century Roman prisons. I'll, share you, I'll spare you description, use your imagination. Probably not very good. The extreme disillusionment and discouragement when people who should be for you are against you. People you love, they should love you. They're against you. And watching relationships crumble, oh my gosh, that is so hard. And it makes us so restless. The deep depression and despair realizing that your strength physically, your body, that maybe death is near. Thanks for caring, church. And it's awesome that you've cared. But I'm good. The Lord is my shepherd, my provider. He strengthened me. I've learned the secret of being content in that strength. I'm satisfied. I'm not in want. Come on, Paul. Like, are you serious? You're not in need. You're not in want. You're content. The whole book of Philippians is Psalm 23. Embodied in the story of a person, right? Like you can see another parallelism to Psalm 20 just by reading and, and becoming familiar with Philippians. Paul says, I'm sure of this. Okay, here's your circumstance. You're in prison. What's Paul's attitude? I, I'm confident that he who started a good work in you will continue it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. These circumstances are not going to deter God in any way in the work that he's doing in our lives. Uh, what about those troublemakers, the people that should be for you but they're against you and, and they're preaching the gospel but they're using the gospel as an occasion to stir up trouble for you and discredit you and they're trying to undermine your apostolic ministry and all that, like, you know, panic. That would be what a lot of people do. What's it matter? Whether false motive or true Christ is preached, and I see the power of the gospel at work, and that gives me joy. Wow. Uh, Paul, what about your failing strength? It's kind of, you know, shameful how pathetic your health is. I mean, you're an apostle, and you have all this faith that moves mountains, and look at your, you know, if you're the son of God, take yourself off this cross that, you know, you're suffering. Like, Paul, like, that's how he was probably being discredited. And Paul says, my expectation and my hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or death. You know, I'm not managing a diminishing equation of health and life and death here. Like, my equation is going up and up and up, up and to the right, because I'm not going to be ashamed because God is going to do a resurrection miracle in my body. That's the big theme in Philippians. For me to live is Christ, and to die is actually a gain. For you, you want to make my joy complete. Have the same mindset that Jesus had about things. Uh, I consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That is what fuels me and energizes me and, and gives me joy and hope and, and peace and strength. Like, knowing Christ... It's not 
the bread I eat, what I drink, you know, whatever else, right? It's the surpassing, insatiable, like hunger to know God. That's what fuels and fires me. Because of him, I've suffered the loss of all things. But you know what? I consider all things dung. Now, he uses a very vulgar word there that I'm not going to say. But like all that stuff that we abide in to Paul is just a pile of dung. Okay? That I might gain Christ. Comparatively, this is what... I want to possess this love, this knowledge of God. And that is what satisfies and quenches every hunger, every thirst. Now, this is very powerful stuff. What is this spiritual gibberish of which you speak, Paul? Are you seriously okay that you've lost everything? Uh, you seriously consider everything dung compared to the surpassing greatness, satisfaction of knowing Jesus Christ? How many of us can say that we're with the Apostle Paul in finding that kind of satisfaction abiding in Jesus Christ, knowing him and abiding in him? How many of us can say that we have no want, that we found contentment in Christ alone? How many of us can say with David, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm good. I have what I want. In Philippians 3, Paul describes how the enemies of the cross are focused on earthly things. Now, let's talk about that for a moment. There is a pattern of life that is held out to us every moment of every day that is the basis of every consumerist appeal to our flesh, and that is you know, there's people that live with a completely earthly focus. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. They, like, I am chasing my hungers. I'm chasing my cravings and desires. And when I lay hold of the next thing to quench that, like, I'm going to be going better and better, and I'm going to be more and more satisfied. But the reality is, the more you try to quench yourself with earthly things, the more dead you feel inside, the more hollow, the more empty, the more desperate, the more you crave. And so what ends up happening is, Instead of having, uh, you end up having like escalating hungers and more out of control hungers and desires than anything. So, but there's a different pattern. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. If you're abiding in Christ, you're not managing a diminished equation you, you have, it's up and to the right. There's an overflowing kind of joy and satisfaction and contentment that you're sinking your teeth into that's quenching you more and more. And you need less and less from an earthly perspective. This is a different pattern. Psalm 23, uh, Philippians. Now, let's just go back to Psalm 23 for a moment. I want you to notice some things that David says. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. Physically, uh, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He gives me the things physically that I need for satisfaction. You do need bread and water. You do need food and water, okay? But, but do we need, right? If you have the Lord, 
those hungers, they're not imbalanced and extreme. Uh, he leads me beside choir. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Uh, even though I go through the valley, the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you're with me. Your rod and staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. I'll dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Physical appetites, green pastures, quiet waters. Danger, relational chaos, cruelty of other people. You allow my cup to overflow even in the presence of my enemies. That's what Paul's saying from prison, right? Uh, life and death, even though I walk through the valley, I, I, I fear no evil. And, you know, uh, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Like nothing is going to come in between my life and the satisfaction that I can have in God. This is Psalm 23. Now, let me allow, allow me to give you some counterintuitive pastoral counsel. The world tells us, if you truly want satisfaction, fixate on earthly things. Fixate and fulfill your desires and your appetites. Gain power, gain control, gain fame and friends and all these things. In Matthew 4, Matthew 3, Jesus is baptized. In Matthew 4, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. It's a supernatural fast. Matthew 4, 2 is one of those like hand-to-forehead verses where it says, uh, after 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. You know, do you think? Of course he was. He's very hungry. And, and you almost have like a replay of the Garden of Eden. Here comes Satan into Jesus' presence like he did the garden with Eve. And he tempts Jesus. If you're the son of God, you see all these nice stones that are laying all around you, Jesus, here in the wilderness? They're all perfectly rounded like river stones. You know, they, they look like little loaves of bread, right? Take these stones and turn them into bread since you're the son of God. So Satan's first appeal to Jesus, to Eve, to the Apostle Paul, probably to King David is our cravings and desires, the lusts of our flesh, our hungers and thirst. That's where he seems to always begin, what's good and pleasing to the eye, these loaves of bread. You know, Paul, you know, I've learned to be content in hunger or thirst. David, uh, green pastures, water, you see the theme, there's a it's always that physical that seems to ensnare us first. But then he takes Jesus to the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, I'm going to make you famous, Jesus. If you throw yourself down off this temple, see all those worshipers down there? They've come from all over the world. And if you throw yourself down and the angels catch you in air, oh, what a spectacle it will be. It will go viral, you know. The pretext is... You can have all the instant fame. You can have personal recognition, social status. Your name will go viral in Jerusalem. I think of Jesus when he told his brothers, his brothers were like, hey, Jesus, you want to make a name for yourself, uh, go down to Jerusalem and do your thing. But Jesus says, you know, any time's right for you guys, but not for me. This was continually thrown in Jesus' face. Satan did it. His family did it. People did it. Make yourself famous. Make yourself a name. 
And then last, of course, you know, Jesus, he takes Jesus to the mountaintop and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. You know, I'll give you the legislative branch. I'll give you the executive branch. I'll give you the Supreme Court, right, if you'll bow down and worship me. You know, it seems like whenever there's a grasp for instant power, there's an equal invitation to self-corruption. And money for the quest of power will sell their soul to the devil. Jesus, if you sell your soul to me, I'll give you all the worldly things and power and fame and pleasures that you could possibly imagine. This is master class stuff that you're getting here, by the way. Jesus is master class. He says, how does he respond? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's not a spiritually shallow person talking there. <laughs> that is a deeply abiding person who's deeply abiding in the Father saying that. I don't live on bread alone. I live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Uh, I can make you instantly famous. Do not test the Lord your God. Serve him only. I can give you so much power and control. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. This is a different pattern for us to find satisfaction through. I can point to countless times in my life where I didn't live by that pattern. I'm not going to be real specific. This isn't a confessional, you know. But, but how many times have we tried to find satisfaction in people, things, and places apart from God. John Moore said, how did it work out when you followed your cravings and desires and appetites and hungers and thirsts and you obeyed them? And that was, how did it work out when you were trying to make a name for yourself, chasing your 15 minutes of fame, trying to please your friends, trying to earn the applause of men, uh, trying to get clicks from social media drones or whatever, you know. How did it work out trusting in your own power and strength, trying to build your own castle and your own kingdom and a name for yourself? How did that pattern satisfy you? You know, when we're most doubling down on those types of things, we feel the most empty and the most ruined, and indeed we are. It's amazing to contemplate Jesus. He finds satisfaction abiding in the Father. David, the Lord is my shepherd. Paul, I've learned the secret. God can strengthen me and satisfy and encourage me and, and energize me in a way that all these other things never can. They all found satisfaction not running away from God, but learning to abide in the Father, in his gifts, in his timing. Are they... Making a hollow boast, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Or are they making a substantive testimony? The Lord is my shepherd, I got what I want. I have everything I need. What is your testimony? You might feel the pressure to make a hollow boast. Yeah, I'm satisfied in the Lord, but you might actually really not have found satisfaction in it because you haven't abided in him. But maybe you're living in the reality like David, like Paul, like Jesus. And the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I, uh, I enjoy reading. I read a lot in the category of leadership. 
and a really incredible leadership book uh, that was written. It's called Leadership on the Line. It's written by a couple of guys from Harvard, and they have taught on leadership probably for a very, very long time. Ronald Heifetz, Marty Linsky. They have this book, and I have all my uh, students in the classes that I teach read this book. And uh, when I read it, I often think, oh, here's a scripture, here's a scripture. I, I could probably like, rewrite the book, but inject stuff from Paul and Jesus and the Psalms and the Proverbs. I mean, like, it's one of those kind of books. But it's written from a secular perspective. These guys uh, presumably are atheists. I don't know what their uh, religious background is, but they're not Christian per se. But they write this book on leadership, and they say, you know what the thing that leaders and influencers and, and people really need to work on? Managing your hungers. Managing your hungers. If you can't resolve that dissatisfaction in a healthy way, you will derail your leadership. That's one of the chapters, one of the sections, actually, of their book. And I was like, interesting. So what are those hungers? Well, their hungers are kind of parallel to the temptations of Jesus, the concerns of David in Psalm 23, the struggles of the Apostle Paul in Philippians, the hunger for power and control. Like, I'll be satisfied, like, give me agency, give me, like, let me be the master of my destiny, let me choose, let, I don't want to depend on anybody, I don't want to wait for anyone or anything, like, what better way in life than for me to be Lord over others and everything, like, let me be the king on the throne, like, that's when I'll be happy, my will, my way, I'm shepherd, I'm Lord. I trust no one but myself. I got my own back. So that hunger for power and control creeps in a hundred different ways. Wow. It's derailing. The hunger for affirmation and importance. We're all prone to grandiosity. Why do we make ourselves grander and bigger and and, and why do we Photoshop and, uh, you know, polish up our selfies and our profiles? And why do we self-present in so many ways that maybe are disingenuous? And like, we want to be noticed. We want to matter greatly. We want to be appreciated, celebrated, valued, recognized, pinged, Googled, quoted, followed, tweeted, liked, Right? Who needs God to be Savior of the world when the world has the gift of me? If only you would accept the gift of me, everybody. Like, that's kind of the affirmation and importance. That hunger can derail even the best leaders. What about the hunger for intimacy and delight, our physical cravings and desires? Like, we got to resolve that deep down, like, we have all these needs for pleasure, for, but they talk a lot about our need for touch, our need to be held, not just emotionally, but physically. Like one of the worst things related to like our need for intimacy and delight is like loneliness when we're alone. When we feel personal rejection, when we're isolated, that is actually when we are terrifically vulnerable. Why do people... Commit adultery. Why do they cross sexual boundaries that are traditional, that have been life-giving and, and helpful and, and ordained by God? You know, why do people do a lot of stuff? Because that loneliness 
and that sense of isolation or rejection, it is not good for man to be alone. And so when we don't manage that hunger, the, the boundaries we will cross to fill that inner void, even to try to splash even a little satisfaction in that, ver- that, that need for intimacy and warmth, it's on full display in our culture. How many leaders have fallen because of an inability to manage these hungers? What if Jesus would have fallen to those temptations? David did not manage his hunger. He was at his best when he was abiding in God as a shepherd. He was at his worst when he was counting his fighting men, when he was peering over the, the fence or whatever or down from the palace onto Bashir and, and all the other stuff. That's when he derailed. But he was at his best when he was abiding. How many seemingly great people crash and burn because of an inability not just to manage these hungers, not just to manage the temptations of Jesus or the pressures that David felt or Paul felt in Philippians. How many have crashed and burned for failing to find satisfaction or even to seek satisfaction in God? The secret to contentment, to satisfaction is in who or what you abide in. We know what it means to try to abide in the world to find satisfaction. How's that played out for you? Do we know what it is to find satisfaction in the Lord being our shepherd? The secret to satisfaction is in whom we abide for life. And when we abide in God as the source of life, it's a beautiful thing. I look to God for all I need. I look to God for green pastures and mysteriously quiet yet refreshing waters that his Holy Spirit, living water, can give me. I look to God for my daily bread. I tend to God's glory and fame, not my own need for affirmation and importance. I build God's kingdom, letting go of my own quest to build my own castle and my own kingdom. You know, I wrote this sermon Friday night, and I, I wrote at the end of this, I looked to God for my daily bread, and I just like, holy cow, there it is. The Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, Philippians, Psalm 23, the way Jesus responded to temptation, if you were to take that pattern and prescribe it in so many words, it's not just a prayer, it's a pattern that we can live by and find satisfaction by. How do we find satisfaction? Well, you have to tra- go to something that transcends you. Our Father in heaven, that's the starting point. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Okay? Your kingdom come. Uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. You know, we don't have to turn stones into Bread, we can ask God to provide manna from heaven. God, you satisfy me and quench my thirst in the way that I need. Every day I abide in you with these physical appetites so that they don't derail me and destroy me and corrupt me. Give us today our daily bread. What about all these enemies and people? Forgive us. Like we need the grace to be forgiven so that we can forgive others. We got to understand our grace. Like, I'm going to abide in your grace. That's what's going to get me through 
These moments when people are hurting me. How do I not become angry and bitter? I need grace. Okay. Out of the overflow, I share. God, teach me to share that grace. Forgive my debtors as I've been forgiven. Don't bring us into temptation, but deliver us from this evil one. Now that is a pattern to live by, do you agree? Have you tried it and found satisfaction in it? Or are you trying to find satisfaction abiding in the world? Let's pray. Dear Father, help us to abide in you. To look to you, not just as Lord and Shepherd, but as provider. Uh, Help us to look to your son Jesus. To be our bread of life. To be the one who can give us the living water of your Holy Spirit to quench us once and for all. Help us to step away from the pressures and and not let our stomach become our God and, and our appetites become our idols. But let us... Look to you for satisfaction. Let's be enamored with your fame and glory instead of our own. Let's look to you as Lord instead of trying to be Lord and King. Let's trust you uh, to lead us. Father, satisfy us in this pattern, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.